Welcome back, guys and gals and dogs and cats and whoever is listening and whatever you call yourself. Thank you for joining us on SwitchCast tonight. I am your host, Doug Tabbitt. I am happy to be with you tonight, and we're going to be chatting it up. We're going to be talking about some recent uh, things in automotive news. There's stuff every week that is interesting and confounding and hilarious. We're going to touch on EVs a little bit, some uh, some scams, a little bit of uh, Hurricane Ian, and some market updates, and of course, our props and flops of the week. So we're happy you are here tonight. Uh, I'm happy I'm here. I enjoy doing this. I enjoy interacting with uh, the audience that's here and uh, also you guys all online. So if you'd like to participate tonight, you can call in live 216-294-4124. I put that on loop. All right. You can call in live 216-294-4124. You can post your comments, statements, questions, threats, whatever in the uh, flow of wherever you're watching live, uh, namely YouTube and Facebook. We are broadcasting to uh, both places thanks to our sponsor, BoxCast, which makes it super easy. So again, thank you all for joining us. So those of you who are watching uh, on on the video, we'll get a little extra special things tonight. We're going to have some some uh, 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 show and tell, I guess you might say. But uh, uh, you will also notice that I'm wearing a sweater and drinking wine. And usually I wear like a t-shirt and drink bourbon. And uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong. It's just it's winter here, even though it's still October. It snowed this morning. It's 37-ish degrees out. And my dummy is driving a real-world drive BMW with like 600 horsepower and summer tires. So friggin' fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm that guy who may end up in a ditch and then buy a Land Rover. That's actually, when I used to work at a Land Rover dealership, we'd sell a ton of Land Rovers like the first snow of the year. And we had a, a sister store, BMW dealership next door. And people had no concept of snow tires. So they'd have these BMW 5 and 7 series that were rear-wheel drive and or all-wheel drive, but on summer tires. they put them into a ditch or not be able to get out of their driveway. They'd bring them in and trade them in. And we had multiple people come in and go, I'll buy a Land Rover, but only if I can just leave my BMW here basically for the winter. We're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Park it out back. Take a new Land Rover. Uh, yeah. Yeah. First world problems. Uh, instead of buying snow tires, I'll just buy another Land Rover. So, yeah, um, some fun stuff tonight. Uh, where do I want to begin with this? Let's let's start with some interesting transactions of the week. So everybody's talking about the market. It's a hot topic. It's the opposite of last year. The market is falling. Um, I'm not going to say it's a Paul Walker movie that it's falling fast and furiously fastly. And why do they call it? Why is fast an adverb? And it's not fastly. But if you say furious and not furiously, you get chided by grammar Nazis. Not entirely sure. That's the point you were trying to get to, but <laughs> I, it's a side point. I was homeschooled. All right. Anyway, I'm not a grammar Nazi. I'm alt right. Oh. It's getting warm in here already. <laughs> Tyler Sanders. Uh, I might need a little bit more whiskey to deal with this. 
Tyler Sanders, Sanders, who drives the. I always want to call go. it aubergine. That's purple. What's the green that you oh. love? The Aventurine on the Aventurine, yeah. thank you. Who drives an Aventurine nine sixty eight is is here uh on camera, off mic. No, off mic on camera. <laughs> Mark Spence is off mic. You can hear him from five, eight feet away. Um he'll be relaying your questions, trying his best to uh to to, to read your usernames. Yeah, please if I screw something up, I'm sorry, but woof. Oh my gosh! I do have to take off my sweater. I'm having too much fun already. Ooh, um, too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. So sexy it hurts. Say, wine dug is interesting on the podcast. <laughs> do 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 do. Ethan is gonna get in here and shut us down. If this keeps up. Oh, uh, Ethan's watching the viewer count just go down. Okay, we're going to talk about cars. We, it's, I swear we're going to talk about cars. Oh, I'm, the other thing I want to acknowledge, if anyone cares or notices, usually I have these fancy in-ear monitors that were custom molded for my ears, which is a whole different story. It's, it's because I have child-sized ears. But um, I use that as an excuse if my wife says that I'm not listening. I say it's, it's a fact. My audiologist says I have child-sized ear canals, so I can't hear. But on a serious note, I've been struggling with some fairly serious tinnitus for the past few years, and I thought it was mold-related, but it has come back recently, and uh, I think it may be related to my in-ear monitors, even though they're supposed to protect my hearing by insulating me from like other noise. Um, so I'm trying regular headphones to see if I can sleep tonight, so problems of of getting old so not that anyone really cared but i'm gonna say it because i'm i'm here and it, it's a thing so i just i i don't like headphones they look ridiculous and they mat down my hair honestly i i, I used to think it was the cause of my balding i was i was blaming the headphones like did you wear them here. that much what's that did you wear them that much no but it's just <laughs> i noticed it because it matted my hair down it made me see my hair was thinning and i'm like it's it's my headphones i'm gonna stop wearing headphones and get in-ear monitors yeah no it's 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 the hormones or lack of hormones or whatever causes that so okay market updates you came here for the cars not for the jokes but you're gonna get both uh so uh, there's been a lot of reserve not met sales on bring a trailer and p car market that's been kind of everybody's gauge of the market and i, I get that comment a lot oh did you see all the reserve not met sales out there but it, bring a trailer isn't the only market and there's very high sell-through rates at the big in-person auction still so there's segments of the market that are very strong but there was an interesting one this week uh a 2000 mile carrera gt that was very, very clean, and it no-sailed at $1.6 million. There's no stories. This was an excellent example. It was represented by uh, one of the best dealers. It was uh, Cultivated Collector, and it was serviced by the best guy, Rapazi Motorworks, who was a previous guest on the show. So 1.6 is certainly a lot for a Carrera GT if we're talking pre-2020 prices, but that is a good ooh, 10% down off of what that car would have sold for six months ago. And some people, maybe myself included, said that the supercars would be somewhat insulated from this. But 
for some odd reason, the Carrera GTs are coming off a little bit. Now, other supercars are not. Lamborghinis are hot. Big dollar Ferraris are, are hot. They seem to be, there seems to be no ceiling for those. But I, I thought that was an interesting transaction. Uh, however, <laughs> the market is, it's like there's niche, niches of the market that are insulated from each other. The same day, another well-known seller on Bring a Tra Trailer pulled a world record price for a BMW Z8 at $445,000, a non-Alpina car, four hundred forty-five grand for a BMW Z8 in a, in a quote-unquote recession, in a, you know, sliding market, they set a world record for BMW Z8, but it was topaz blue with red interior. So it was the rarest color combo. And blue ones in the past couple of years, if you look at the bring a trailer results, the blue ones have far exceeded any other Z8 sale other than Alpina cars. So <laughs> we talk about cars as investments and people trying to predict like what cars will be the next big thing. I say, forget cars, just pick the color, right? So if you could predict what colors would be popular when you'd be really, really rich. So 10 years ago, nobody gave a rip about burgundy cars or blue cars or any cars in a color. They wanted red Ferraris and silver and white Porsches. And I, you know, people wouldn't buy green GT3 RSs. Um, yeah, how, how that has changed. Can we go back to that? I'd love to buy one. <laughs> yeah, right? So I, I loved it because I, mean, I loved and hated it because as a dealer, I'd buy what I liked and I loved the cool colors. So I had a blue Potsy Ferrari 430. I had a TDF 575 on Crema. I had a Rosa Rubino 599. I had all these colors that nobody friggin' gave a rip about. And now the colors... The burgundies, the blues are pulling huge, huge premiums. Look at Midnight Blue Ford GT versus the rest of the colors, except, I guess, yellow. Um, so I, now the question there is, is it the color itself that drives up the value or the rarity? Because if it's the latter, if it's the rarity, then that kind of chaps my ass. Because then you have people buying something that they don't love just because it's rare Meanwhile, those of us plebeians, commoners out here who love blue and burgundy and aventure in green, Tyler, are getting outbid by people who don't even like the color. They just want it for the bragging rights of, well, this color is you know, one of 17 produced in 1992 with gray interior. <laughs> I'm over here looking at pictures of the Z8, not even noticing what's going on. I'm not making, I am making fun of Tyler because that's what he has, but I'm not making fun of Tyler because that's not why he cares about it. He, he loves that color, but you have collectors buying stuff up again, based on trends of rarity, which is valid, but I, you know, I guess, I guess all's fair in love and war, but I'm curious how much people's tastes are influenced by what other people think, right? So blue has always been popular on Z8s really not always because it wasn't popular when they came out because it was the rarest color. Nobody wanted it when it was new. Same thing with the, the green on the GT3 RS. It's the second rarest color, but now it's worth a hundred thousand more than any other color. So I don't know. 
everyone loves green now, I guess, but I don't know. Maybe they don't really. Maybe, I, I don't know. Do people go out in their garage with a glass of wine, like taking in a fluorescent frog, be like, oh, that green is just, oh, it's so great. Or do they get their jollies off of posting online how they have one of 53 green ones in North America? I Like, I, I think the latter is really it. It's the Corvette. My Corvette is best Corvette. It's rare syndrome that Porsche people issue. Like, it's, yeah. You look like I, you have something to say. I don't know. Tyler. I just, I'm conflicted because there is, uh, there's a couple of cars that they didn't make very many green ones of that I would like very much. And if I had the money, I'd pay over market for them. But it's because but, you really love green. Yes. And okay. this Z8 what is gorgeous. They? Did they make a green Z8? No. I don't think they did. It's the, the GT3s. The okay. 996 and I, there's probably a couple 997s too in yeah. various shades of green. That's the goal, but I don't know if it'll ever come up for sale, and there are not many. The C8 GT is Vault could tell you exactly how many and what color 996 and 997 GT3s were in green. GT Vault just knows everything. It does. <laughs> we'll have to ask them next week. Um, well, okay, but so back to the Z8. An 18,000-mile black over Crema Z8 just ended on P-Car Market yesterday. And it ended at 180K. Well, and that's where I was kind of getting, like, this doesn't strike me as I just really want the color combo price. This strikes me as I want to look at it and tell people how rare it is price. Because the you're paying three times as much for a color combo? That's a lot. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I can't... I just sold a, a, I'm sorry, GT Vault just sold a Vesuvio GT3 RS. It's a one of one, and it was a higher mileage example, but it went for big money because of that color. And, you know, the, like for me, I'm like, I love the color, but I'm not going to pay 100 to 150 grand more for it. Like, I want to, I, maybe if I had Uber bucks and just that was nothing to me, then then sure I would, but. Is it because the guy loves a color or because he wants to say he has one of one? That's the real question. Yeah, and I don't, I feel like it's more of the I have the one to one of one. Like it, I, I don't know. Could be that if I had gobs of money, I'd go find the people with the green GT threes and offer them silly money to just get them to sell it to me. Just because you want green. Yeah. Yeah. When I could probably just wrap or paint a car with a rebuilt title or something and get essentially the same thing yeah but uh, yeah that's a that is a significant amount of money for a z8 yeah yeah uh we'll look at some more here but the the takeaway from this if you want to go do other things tonight you know watch watch the baseball game or whatever is going on the takeaway from this in all what's going on with the market doing wacko things maybe the colors will be a good long-term strategy maybe they won't maybe blue will wear off as a fad and people will want you know, gray, I, I don't know. But the, the timeless strategy, when I always tell customers, is to buy good cars, right? That's not just like a good example of a car, but like don't buy weird, oddball, crazy stuff, unless like you just like it. But it, as, as an investment strategy, which I, it pains me to say, you buy a good car. 
and you look at inherent value and relative value, right? So what that means is you look at a car that's 200 grand and you don't say, well, what was this worth last year? Or what might this be worth next year? Or what does everybody else think? You look at it and say, what else can I buy for this money? Like, what am I getting for 200 grand? And what other experience could I get? Um, trying to think of a good example of that, of, of like a hyped up car. But, you know, let, let's take an Acura NSX, for example. That's one sold today for like $180,000. I look at that and I go, the NSX is an unbelievable car, but what else can I get for 180 grand? I can buy a 97 Dodge Viper GTS, a Corvette C5, like a BMW M Roadster, and have money left over. Is the NSX better than all three of those and money in the bank? Probably not. Now, does that mean the NSX is overvalued or the Viper and the Corvette are undervalued? I don't know, but that's how you evaluate it. You look at it and you go, you know, what is something worth overall? Where's the inherent value? And don't worry about the short-term trends because if you try to time the market, you're probably going to time it wrong. So, you know, my advice is Look at inherent value, look at relative value, make your decisions on that. Don't follow the herd because if you do, you'll get trampled. Yes, I wrote that in advance. All right, let's go to a commercial break and then we'll come back with more gems from Doug Tabbitt. All right, SwitchCast is brought to you by Celebrity Machines. Uh, Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save 25.39% at checkout. Thank you, Tyler, and thank you, Celebrity Machines, for keeping us on the air. Uh, we are back with you live, and if you'd like to join us, uh, you can call in 216-294-4124 and pontificate away, but only if you have something meaningful to say or a good question, or you can post your comments wherever you're watching live, and Ethan will get those over to Tyler if they're any good, and Tyler will ask them of me. So yeah, do we have any questions on the docket or should we go back into the market discussion? Uh, let's go back into the market discussion. Okay, Give okay. Ethan more time to do his job. <laughs> Ethan's not paying attention yet. We usually do questions later on. So um, we've been talking about, well, speaking of Ethan doing his job, Ethan has been doing an incredible job with social media lately. So he's making me appear funnier than I am by fantastic editing and uh, putting some stuff up on the, the Instagram reels and TikToks and all that. But one of the funniest things to me is, is the comments that come through. And I recently did a, um, a highly satirical video making fun of millennials and Porsche people. And basically, like, it's the, this character I created that lasted all of three videos. But it was like this expert 
that claimed to know everything and was doing a commercial about a car, but actually knew nothing. It was just pontificating on and on about stuff that was totally nonsensical. And I pronounced the car. It's a 911 millennial millennium edition. (laughs) It was a millennial edition. That's what I actually confused in the, in the video. And, um, and I pronounce it Porsche over and over again, very obviously. Like the entire video was satirical. And on Instagram, I have like I literally just got one right before the show started. I have probably seven or eight and counting people very upset trying to correct me saying it's pronounced Porsche. And I'm like, man, way to identify yourself as not getting dry humor at all. Like the whole thing is satire. You think I Ethan even put it in big, bold letters, P-O-R-S-H, flashed it on the screen every time I said it. <laughs> oh, people on the internet are awesome. They never cease to uh, entertain and excite. Uh, so we're talking about vehicles as investments, if you're just joining us. Um, and it's, man, that really is a misnomer. Uh unless your timing is great and that's not an investment that's day trading or you pick exactly the right car and hold it for a long term but for the people who think timing is investing with cars or that they can time it right a 2011 boxer spider which is in my opinion one of the greatest driving cars that porsche has made and it was in my top 11 picks under 100k uh on on VinWiki a while back and it's it's on my short list it's fantastic car so a really really nice example four thousand mile car buckets manual good options list uh sold on bring a trailer in march for a hundred two thousand dollars that was a high watermark for a boxer spider and i think it was probably worth all of that and then some at the time so add but if you add the five grand buyer fee and another seven grand in tax because it was a private owner uh you're at 112, 14 grand. Last week, the exact same car sold again. I'm bringing a trailer via a dealer for 92 grand. And they probably, not probably, definitely had some commission in there. So you figure the guy probably sold it for 88. So that means it costs a guy over 20 grand to own it for seven months. And people want to talk about cars as investments. Everyone wants to show you the data points that are flashy, but nobody talks about those ones where the guys, the people just get their butts handed to them. And like, I don't want that to happen to anybody, but that is the reality of car ownership, especially short term car ownership. Like the, the less time you own a car, typically, unless your timing is perfect with the market, the, the more it costs you, uh, cause you're, you're buying at retail and you're trading in at wholesale. So, and sales tax. Uh, a couple more interesting transactions, not necessarily talking about market here. Now we're just talking about um, why certain cars go for more money. But I follow both the Callaway C16s and the Corvette C6 RSs. They're both limited production bespoke, uh, I'll call them coach-built Corvettes. So the Callaway C16 is essentially a homologation car built by Callaway Cars out of Connecticut. Uh, it is fully coach built. It's a different body. It is a totally redone leather and or Alcantara interior with stitching. I mean, it's totally 
not GM interior anymore. I think the leather is sourced out of Germany. It's absolutely beautiful car. Looks a little bit like a 599. They have flying buttresses in the rear, very subtle ones, and uh, single round rear tail lights. And uh, some of them are supercharged. All of them have a upgraded engine. Um, and they're just, they're beautiful. They made 16 of them total. And those haven't really caught their, uh, caught their wind yet. Uh, one of them sold last week, last, yes, last week for 120 grand with 800 miles on it. The exact same car sold in September of 2020 for 115K. So even with the market going up from 2020 till now, that car basically held even. And I thought it would have gone for a lot more. Meanwhile, a Corvette C6 RS, which is to me kind of like the, the competitor to the C16. They only made seven of those. It was built by Pratt & Miller, um, who does the engineering for the Corvette C6 R Le Mans car. It uses the same carbon fiber body panel. So both of them are essentially street cars homologated from race cars. Uh, it has a, a K-Tech 8.2 liter naturally aspirated engine 600 horsepower 600 pound feet of torque it's ridiculous it's probably not quite as reliable as the callaway and it's not as smooth looking like it's got fat fenders and it's like it's impressive it's muscly but it's not as uh not as smooth lines i think the callaway overall is a better looking car however those, neither of them, I mean, the Callaway and the C6RS were like unloved for a long time. I remember having a couple C6RS back in like 2009, 10, couldn't give them away. I sold one for like 115 grand in 2010 and the C16s were about the same price. So you figure 10 years ago, they were trading at identical prices, but a C6RS that was... Let's see, in January 2020, one was bid to 102.5, and it sold for 361 grand last month. So maybe that was an outlying transaction, although from the private sales I've heard about, it wasn't. Why? I don't have the answer to this. Maybe some of you do. Why is a C6RS basically three to four X? what a C16 was when two years ago and 10 years ago, they were trading at the same price. They're both special bespoke homologation Corvettes that are incredibly rare. I mean, I mean, that's what, again, that goes back to inherent value, right? So I look at the C16 and go, well, screw it. I'm going to buy a C16. Because I'd rather have three of those than one C6 RS. No, that's wild. I wonder if it's because the, the C6R has the actual or something similar to the actual race car body from a front engine Corvette. And now that isn't a thing anymore. And I don't, I mean, it's way after the fact. But Well, but the Callaway C12 also has a body from the Callaway C12R. Now we're talking about C12, not C16, but they're they're in the same family, same lineage. C12 is C5, and the C16 is based off of the C6. And the C16, you know, Callaway also ran a car in Le Mans that it's 
similar to. I, I don't uh, get it. That's crazy. I'm almost more depressed, though, that somebody sold a C16 with only 800 miles. The entire purpose of those cars, and I'm not I'm going to try not to get on too much of a high horse, is to be driven. They're exotic, like, sports cars based on race cars and 800 miles. It, it, it's an entire discussion. The, it, the point of Ugh. all cars is to be driven. <laughs> it's just crazy to me. Because they've got to be... Have you driven a C16? Mm-hmm. And you've obviously driven the C6. Like, those have got to be amazing cars to drive. Mm-hmm. It, why wouldn't you want to experience that, especially if you're dropping over a hundred grand on it? I'd be scared, honestly, of damaging the carbon fiber. That's I, true. Like, you can't get any more, probably. I, oh, well, I'm sure you can. <laughs> Pratt and Miller is still around, but like. I don't know. You have spare body panels just laying around. I don't know what the lead time is on that. Like, that's that's a very real consideration when you have a car like that. Oh, you made seven of them. Great. How long for an extra fender? I hit a deer. Like, I I get it. I get it. Uh, transitioning to Hurricane Ian. So we are not going to make light of this. It is a very sad situation for a lot of people. Uh, I think I may have my numbers wrong, but I believe it was 380,000 cars were destroyed in Hurricane Ian. That's a lot of cars, especially when we're already in a supply chain crisis. It's easing up, but, uh, but I, I have to use this for political expediency to, to get my point across. Electric vehicles are exploding <laughs> because the batteries are corroding from the water, shorting out, and catching on fire. This is not the first time this has happened. Reference back to Hurricane Sandy when Fisker, essentially what bankrupted Fisker was a whole ton of their Fisker karmas were at the port in New Jersey. Hurricane Sandy came in, batteries shorted out, they all burned up. Womp womp. Uh, yeah. So, not that it's, you know, what do you do so a car catches on fire? The problem is, the problem is, when an electric vehicle catches on fire, it burns, and it burns, and it burns, and it burns. And this is something that is one of my main arguments against EV cars in terms of common adoption, is nobody is talking about this. So Haggerty did a really, really good article about the ship that went down uh, that had 4,000 Porsches, Ferraris, and Lamborghinis and Audis on it, uh, the Felicity Ace, right? So that made international news. Every guy was talking about it. Every Porsche guy we knew had a car on that ship, right? Like Chris Benby, Matt Fair, I think Chris Durden also, like... A, ton of people had cars on that ship um the reason that was such a big deal is because it burned and it burned and it burned because of all the evs so the type of batteries they use burn way hotter than the normal fire even the normal electrical fire and it burns for freaking ever so tesla actually has an emergency like publication that they put out 
with the vehicle that goes to fire departments that talks about how to fight a fire with, uh, you know, on a, a Tesla fire. And it in, in the manual, it says that you should plan to have extra water on hand. I'm like, how does a city plan to have extra water on hand for a guy who buys a Tesla? Right? So the problem with that that ship is there are so many EVs on board, it just it kept burning and they couldn't put the fire out. And my concern is what happens when we have, if, but idea where it goes and what's going to be affected. So yes, you may have some dealers or some people trying to pass off cars that they didn't take the insurance claim on, but it's going to be very rare. Um, I hardly ever see it in 17 years of business. I've seen a lot of people scamming. I've seen a lot of fast ones pulled. I've very rarely see people trying to pass off flood cars without there being a history of flood damage. Although, although there was, there was something on wholesale car club, Facebook page this week and somebody was advocating for their friend and a dealer got to love dealers. They had this guy at the signing table and the sales manager comes in as they're signing the paperwork and was like, Oh yeah, by the way, this car has previous flood damage. And just kind of like walks away. But again, the, the buyer didn't check the friggin' Carfax. Like, he can blame the dealer. Absolutely. There is a legal requirement for dealers to disclose those things. A hundred percent. That's a shady ass friggin' dealer that, you know. However, caveat emptor, buyer beware, do your due diligence at least look at the Carfax. It's not a be-all, end-all, but it's usually a be-all, end-all for salvage friggin' titles. Because it either says salvage or not salvage. Flood damage or not flood damage. Anyway, that's how not to get scammed on a flood damage car. Just don't buy one with a friggin' flood title. Maybe also just get a PPI. To an extent. It depends yeah. on where. I know you might not get a PPI on a Toyota Corolla, but like yes. still. Yeah, look the the other way to do it is look at the friggin' car you're buying. Uh, usually you can tell if it's added salt water up to its steering wheel. Commercial break. Alrighty. Switchcast is also brought to you by Boxcast. BoxCast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched BoxCast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy, flexible live streaming platform for organizations. BoxCast is so easy, we're broadcasting this show with a phone. Head over to switchcars.com slash boxcast for your free trial. I should note that our amazing producer, Ethan, figured out a way around iRig. We had a lot of issues with iRig last week. iRig was very difficult, and it kept failing, and iRig's customer service was difficult. I'm saying iRig a lot because, yes. Anyway, so he just put like this conglomeration of cables together and... I have been playing count the adapter over yeah. here when you're talking like there's <laughs> this it is works. Anyway, continue on. <laughs> Ethan's detailing. 
Nathan's Detailing is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Nathan's Detailing is a company in Cleveland, Ohio that provides mobile detailing services for individuals and dealerships. They offer PPF and ceramic coating installations as well. With 800 plus Google reviews and an impressive 4.9 rating, Nathan's Detailing is the go-to shop for all of your detailing and protection needs. With Nathan's Detailing, convenience is key. Their mobile detailing technicians bring the power, water, and supplies to your home or work and detail your car on site. Check out the link at, ooh, I don't have a link. In the description. Oh, Check out in the, the link description. in the description, in the video oh. description. Nathan's Detailing, this smiles for you. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Nathan's Detailing. Thank you to all our sponsors, and thank you to our listeners and viewers again. If you'd like to uh, join us, you can call in 216-294-4124 or post your comments, questions, threats, or statements in the comment flow of wherever you're watching live. Just got a good one referencing that satirical Porsche video I made earlier. His comment was just, is this supposed to be funny? <laughs> Yes. Yes, it is. You sound like my wife. <laughs> it just gives me the eye. Is that a joke? Yeah, well, it, it was. It I really was. enjoyed the hearty chuckle from uh, Ethan in the other room <laughs> that we heard through the wall. <laughs> I mean, I, fine. You don't think it's funny. But if, if you recognize it's supposed to be funny that it's satire and you don't get that I'm purposefully mispronouncing Porsche like I don't know some things not not there <laughs> my wife just texted me ha <laughs> well I know I know who one of the viewers is tonight <laughs> we've at least got one Oh, gosh, I've totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> Tyler, help me out here. <laughs> oh, that's... I'd like to give a shout-out to uh, Joe Man for sending over the tip. Uh, thanks, man, for that. We do really appreciate it. <laughs> I do have some questions here uh, for when Doug is finished dying Please. a bit. <laughs> I need help. Give you something to think about. Uh, our friend from Croatia is back with the username I will not try again to pronounce and butcher. Uh, they say they pronounce Lancia as Lantzia just to annoy fanatics as well. Ah, okay. I pronounce Lancia... La I think I pronounce it wrong, not on purpose all these years. Isn't it Lancia? is the expert on how to pronounce it. It's like Lancia or something like that. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. All right. In relation to all the flood cars, Alan M. asks, any Bugattis for Ed? <laughs> <laughs> I think he wishes. I think I don't so, know. too. There's a, there's a Koenigsegg Regera flooded. There's been a bunch of run-of-the-mill McLarens and a bunch I shouldn't say run-of-the-mill but you know mass production versions as well as a couple P1s uh, there's been a lot of Porsches um, one of our customers is active in the the Paradise Region Porsche group down there they're man they look like a lot of fun they have events like twice a week um, and I think 28 of their members cars got flooded um, but uh, yeah Yeesh. a lot a lot of cars Alrighty, Henry C. Uh, says, I'll be honest, I just joined. Has anyone asked Doug what he thought about Broad Arrow Auctions auction of Jim Taylor's collection? Uh, I did not look at the results. Um, 
there was some pretty neat cars in there. I didn't follow them super closely because they weren't right in my like niche of cars. There's uh, particular stuff I follow, namely Porsche GT cars, you know, stick shift, European sports cars, supercars, um, you know, that kind of stuff. There's a lot, a lot of muscle cars in there, which is kind of outside my area of expertise slash interest. I like them, but uh, no, it, it looked like a really, really neat collection, well curated. Um, Broad Arrow has certainly come onto the market with, you know, with a hurricane force. Uh, stop me if that's too soon. Um, I hadn't heard of them last year, and they made a big splash at Monterey and I think already sold out. I think Haggerty bought them for like a hundred million bucks or something ridiculous. I mean, I, they just from zero to hero that company. Yeah. I think that's the dream to start something that is good enough that in like a few years, Haggerty is going to pay you gobs of money for it. And then you just don't have to stress about it anymore. <laughs> it should be somewhat easy right now because Haggerty's buying everything automotive related up because they need to continue growing because they're <laughs> publicly, uh, publicly traded now. Alrighty, Julian H. has a couple of questions. Uh, first up, so he, they say, so I think the reason why the valuations of cars is so puzzling is because the market highlights the value of consumers' preferences. It's not a question, I guess, but... <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's not it's a threat more a, either. It's, it's more of like statement. a statement. <laughs> the, say that again. The... Uh, Julian thinks the reason why the valuations of cars is so puzzling is because the market highlights the value of consumers' preferences. Interesting. I mean, yes, but their preferences are always changing. And I feel like the majority of consumers don't actually know what they want. They are influenced by other people. It's it's the herd mentality. It's it's why markets have such swings. It's because when one person does something, everybody else jumps on board or follows. Well, that's I was going to say something earlier about just buying the car that you want because you want it. And that's something that we talk about here all the time. But that's not people, what these people are a looking for. A lot of for. people can't. I shouldn't yeah. say people. I, I, I don't mean to even make fun of my customers because we exist in an awesome segment where most of our customers are well-informed enthusiasts who know what they want and why they want it. But there are a lot of people who can't get out of their own head and only can do what the forums say or, you know, they're totally reactionary when it comes to, to any vehicle transaction. For sure. Uh, Julian did follow that up with an actual question this time. I see a question mark at the end. <laughs> uh, what do you see happening to the, quote, boomer car market, 50s and 60s classics, in the future as that generation of enthusiasts die off? That was an impressive, you kept that going for a while. That was impressive. I could have gone longer. So there's some companies out there. I've said this before. I'll say it again that are making really, really cool resto mods. So they're taking cars that have timeless design, the 55 Tiber, the 69 Camaro, et cetera, et cetera, 63 vet. And they're building resto mods. So they're appealing to a new generation of buyers who want a car that looks cool, looks retro, but, isn't awful to drive and the resto mods of that generation are bringing more than original cars 
I think that's going to be the future, but that's also a limited market. That doesn't, that doesn't do anything about, you know, the 77 Monte Carlos, right. That are just bad cars. So I can say that cause I had one. Um, yeah, a lot of those cars are just going to go by the wayside because gonna, people are going to realize that they just really aren't any good. They're, they're not pretty. You know, the, the, the 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s cars, while those cars have gone down in value as their owners have died off, they are so timeless and so beautiful that I don't think you can ever replace it. And people are starting to appreciate them as art. But, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s cars, man, they just they weren't that good and they weren't that pretty. They're big, heavy hunks of metal that don't go well or stop well. And there's going to be a few models that survive that are appreciated. And the rest, I think, are just going to go. Alrighty, Kentucky Cobra 76, uh, completely flipping this to the other side, asks, do you think that the R35 is a good car? Define good. I mean, yeah, they're reliable, they're fast, performance-wise, they're incredible, they're way ahead of their time. Um, you can drive them all year round, you can modify the heck out of them, you can pull a thousand horsepower, they're great track cars, they're great drag cars, like, they do a lot of things well. Um, you know, top gear Italian car word swear jar, like they have no soul and passion. They're kind of boring. They're, they're, they're machines, they're hero cars. Um, so they're not exciting in that respect, but yeah, they're, they're fantastic cars. All right, a quick Silverman Blue uh, asks, is car flipping really viable for someone who is not mechanically inclined? Not so much for profit, but to experience a lot of different vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you don't have to fix cars up in order to make a profit on them. You can buy really, really good cars. It's more about knowing what the values are. Uh, even if you're mechanically inclined, that doesn't automatically mean you get a good deal. You still have to know how to buy a car. Uh, the age old real estate saying is you make your money on the buy. So you have to know how to buy cars. And part of that is understanding cars and having some mechanical understanding to know if that noise is, you know, if it's valve ticking because the engine shot or if it's valve ticking because the car needs warmed up, you know? <laughs> so you have to know some things, but you don't have to be able to fix cars to be able to flip them for a profit. When we've got a mutual friend uh, who's made an appearance on the podcast once or twice, uh, Bailey down in Texas now, mm -hmm. who has done that quite well, I think. I mean, he's fairly mechanically inclined. He does stuff himself, but he just knows how to find good deals. Yep. He's yep. had tons of cars. Or just have a mechanic. <laughs> that too. But again, you still got to find, you, you got to buy it right, period. Southeast Import is next. Uh, they're saying, thinking back to the great financial crisis, did collector car values fall sooner than housing? Housing began to recover in approximately 2012. When did the collector car market begin to recover? About the same. I don't think it was... 
it was it was a protracted slump for cars i think partly because they're not really real investments people were buying real estate almost immediately because you know that's a, a, a tried and true uh, you know land real estate stocks those are those are where investors put their money so people were buying up houses right away whereas cars were a luxury item they weren't seen as investments in 2010 by the majority of the buying public um even before the crash they weren't really it's not like it is now the perception has changed um so it wasn't until like 2013 i'd say that values really started to tick up and then 14 and 15 it was a really big run up yeah so it it, it was a different mindset then And Sam S. Uh, hey, Doug, have you ever heard of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb? Heck yeah. <laughs> I hiked Pikes Peak. and You hiked it instead of driving a car up it? Well, yes. I was out there that with seems a, a, a group of people, but we I rode in a van down it, and I was like, yeah, I'm on the Pikes Peak Road. <laughs> Heck yes, I've heard of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Come on. I feel like yes. to have a proper car guy card, you have to know what that is. There's just certain motorsport events yeah. that are like huge. I would like to go to them. That. I'm glad I didn't go this year because it was like fogged out, but I'd like to go watch that. That would be cool. I'd like to go to Goodwood too for the Festival of Speed. Yes. Just to see the banana stuff that shows yes. up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh so we didn't uh we didn't submit questions on uh, Instagram or whatever, solicit questions beforehand, uh, but uh, it's been a while since we've done the Nuts for Sticks question of the week. And I do have one that uh, he doesn't know he was competing for it, but anyway, Nuts for Sticks is a cool merch shop, nutsforsticks.com, where you can get shirts like the uh, ever-popular Keep Your Woman But Switch Cars shirt, the Stegosaurus Rex t-shirt, and many others. And if you use discount code SWITCHCAST, you can get 10% off of your merchandise order. Again, that's nutsforsticks.com, the number four, and use discount code SWITCHCAST for 10% off. The Nuts for Sticks question of the week, and he will get a free t-shirt. I think he might have gotten one a while back, but anyway, we're going with it. So we just got a new property um the story is up on vinwiki about uh i bought a dream garage with a, a detached house but um i i uh i put up a video and asked for people's suggestions on like what to do with it how to decorate it um what cars to get that was really i already had the cars but anyway how to decorate it and a really really good suggestion from brett smith triple i i think that's the third you know but uh, Brett Smith, who's a, who's a regular listener and commenter, uh, had an amazing suggestion. And he said, I would have each one of your friends bring a piece of automotive memorabilia that represents their car cane addiction and hang it on the wall. I think that would best express the kinship. And I like that because obviously I wanted to have friends over to celebrate the garage, but I didn't want to make it a, like... I didn't want to make it about me. It's just, it's like, it's a car guy thing, right? Like, 
I got a cool garage. I got a new car. Let's check it out. Whatever. We all share that joy. And I thought that was really, really neat suggestion because people, you know, feel a pressure to bring a housewarming gift or garage warming gift. And I don't want that. I don't need anything. But at the same time, I think the best gifts and the best things are the things that have sentimental value and a connection to a person rather than just like, oh, look at this bottle of bourbon I bought that's 1800 years old that there's only seven of and I stood in line to get but rather like look at this bottle of bourbon that my buddy Dan got me you know so we're going to use that actually I'm having a garage warming party on Saturday and uh, we're I'm using that idea so thank you Brett for that idea as a thank you you get your selection of a t-shirt from the nuts for sticks website Um, I did get a gift in advance here um that is is awesome and i'm sorry to you people listening on the audio podcast um i'll try to describe it as best <laughs> i can but myron vernus uh, a good friend and crazy car collector uh brought by this this uh it's a official 1986 corvette pace car so it's a bright yellow Corvette convertible C4 Corvette and he said you know if anyone would like this or appreciate it it would be you Um, and it's a but it's not just a Corvette pace car it is a beam decanter so it's like it's filled with Jim Beam it's is that what what (laughs) is that actually a decanter is there like a little it's probably about as good of a decanter as the Corvette is a car, but yeah, look, listen, listen, that's Jim Beam in there and it's sealed. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm not a collector type person. Uh, I'm going to open this and we're going to drink it. I don't, I don't know when this was made though. I hope it's not 1986. When we open that to try to pour it, it's going to look like somebody spilled gasoline all over the side of their pace car and they're filling it up. There's going to be no way to get the alcohol out of there without spilling. Cre- yeah, it's, that's why I said it's not a very good decanter. Creation of James B. Beam Distilling Company, Genuine Regal, China, 1990. That's some old friggin' Jim Beam. This this is either going to be like literally like drinking gasoline. <laughs> it's honestly probably going to be pretty good. Oh, look, it comes with a... Oh, thank cover, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if ever there is a situation for my Corvette is best Corvette <laughs> because it's filled with whiskey. <laughs> this thing is awesome. It's got like all the original papers and I was saying there was so many stuff. like things in the box with it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So so we're going to open this on Saturday and see <laughs> See how bad it is. Sorry, we're not opening it live on the show. This is a garage warming present, so we're going to uh, open it at the garage warming party. So uh, thank you, Myron, for that. I think this wins preemptively. <laughs> there is no Corvette as rare, or there's no car as rare as a Corvette pace car. All right, we are going to head over to the props and flops it is that time of the night the props and flops are brought to you by switch cars 
Switch Cars is the enthusiast dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. Check out our hand-picked inventory at switchcars.com. Our pick of the week from Switch Cars Inventory is... A 2002 BMW 330Ci with 98,000 miles and in a five-speed manual. The reason it's our pick of the week is because Ethan, our producer, has a Nissan Murano that's not a cross cabriolet. And we've been trying to get him into a cool convertible stick shift. I don't think he knows how to drive stick yet. Well, I've, I've taught him a little bit, but... Um, yeah, we're, we're trying to make him a car guy. He started this podcast not as a car guy at all, and now he's a full-time marketer for a detailing company, and he's our producer. So he's like surrounded by cars all the time, and he's becoming one. But he needs a car that's cooler than his, uh, than his Murano. And we could even like put the Cross Cabriolet logo on the back of this thing. Anyway, if Ethan doesn't buy it, you can for only $9,500. That's right. A manual BMW convertible, reliable, fun, open air for $9,500. Hit us up if you're interested or if you think Ethan should buy it. <laughs> I mean, that's a heck of a lot cheaper than the Murano Cross Cab down the street. Heck yeah, <laughs> that's it is. for sale. It's cheaper than a Cross Cabriolet top repair. oh man if a cross cabriolet gets hit by a hurricane will it be salvage title or is it already salvage title because the top doesn't work can you have a double salvage um flop of the week there's a sign in a hotel so kia and hyundai have been struggling with recalls due to cars catching on fire but apparent apparently thieves can steal these cars with a screwdriver and a usb cable i don't know how this works somebody just posted a picture of the sign in the hotel but it says attention kia hyundai owners it has come to our attention that due to his design flaw in these cars thieves are easily able to steal them with a screwdriver and a usb cable while we do not claim any responsibility for guest vehicles, we would like to provide a deterrent for our guests and are providing theft deterrent devices, the club that engages the steering wheel and brake, making it much more cumbersome for thieves. I, this is hilarious that the club is making a comeback. Does anybody remember those? Yes, it's like the thing that goes in your steering wheel and it locks it so you can't like turn it. And you have to have a key to open it. I've or, only ever seen those in like old movies. Or like a bolt cutter. I mean, if you have a set of bolt cutters, you can just snap them. Yeah. You have a 968. You should have one just to like put on for Radwood or Motor Vice or whatever. It's period correct. I could even get it painted eventually to match my car. <laughs> I think they're all like red. Anyway, I, I used to have a club. I, I used it. I'm dating myself. But I think it's hilarious that that was their their idea that th- that those are making a comeback that's yeah, i mean it's a yeah it, it would certainly flabbergast probably any of the new automotive thieves because most of them are juveniles and they know how to start you know they can start a, a new charger challenger you know you had a bunch of those stolen from the the hot rod power tour because i guess all they need like they can code a key or like something in like 
less than two minutes. I can't remember what it was, two minutes or 20 seconds. And they can code a key and, and take the car. So they have all these techie guys, but I bet if you just put a club, they'd be like, what the frick is this? <laughs> is this the news? Is this what, is this a stick shift? Say in the, in the day when a car can be stole with a USB cable, I think it's time to go simple again. So they might be onto something. Right. Right. Uh, they're not offering to stick swap the Kias and Hyundais, though. That would also be a good theft deterrent device, but I might be above the hotel's pay grade. And I don't know if I would want a hotel employees swapping a transmission on my, even if it was just Hyundai or Kia. It was $50 to rent the club, though. I think you can buy them for less than that. Look, they're just, that's capitalism, baby. They're taking advantage that's, of a market. That's true. <laughs> Props, yeah. Okay, prop of the week. Uh, our our good friend Bradley Brownell, automotive journalist and museum Crawford Museum curator, bought a 996 Turbo for an incredibly good deal in California and decided to drive it home on like they looked like 20 inch wheels with really really old corded tires. That should be the frop, the frop, the <laughs> flop of the week. And he legit had not one, but two flat tires. He had to like stop and buy a set of used tires and wheels and put them on and then go somewhere else. He's bought like two different sets of wheels to get him to limp him across the country. But I give him props for not giving up. That's a car guy. You set out on a road trip and you fail and you keep going and you fail again and you keep going. Like that's the cannonball spirit. So props to Bradley for continuing on anyway that is all for tonight thank you all for joining us thank you for the wonderful questions thank you for uh not making threats or silly statements um yeah maybe maybe next week if i say something too too offensive but uh yeah i would like to thank tyler for um yeah the banter and for reading off questions I would like to thank my producer and call screener, Ethan Huffnagel. And uh, I would like to sp- thank our sponsors, BoxCast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, and Stephen Holm Woodworking, Nathan's Detailing. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream the full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Friday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening and participating, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. as we look forward to edifying, educating, and entertaining you on the drive of your life.